Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, worthy to be praised, I worship you. Welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Bible Studies. Romans 10:17 says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Over the next several minutes, you're going to hear an important message directly from God's Word and have your faith and knowledge increased. All you have to do is listen. Now, here are your teachers. Hey everybody, I'm Andy Baylog. And I'm Jordan Pine. Let's get started. Who will be greatest in the Millennial Kingdom? Well, Christ Jesus, of course. But who will be greatest under Him? Today, we're going to look at how Jesus answered that question when it arose among His disciples. Let's listen now to the Word of God. Two readings from the Gospel of Matthew. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Then some children were brought to him so that he might lay hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Let the children alone, and do not hinder them from coming to me. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. That was Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 to 6, and Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 and 14. So that was two readings from Matthew, and uh, although there wasn't a mention of a break in the middle, as you might have heard, it was skipped ahead a little bit to get to the second teaching that was similar. Um, before attempting to understand these scriptures, it's critical to know the speaker, audience, and context. That is, to put the S, P, A, and C before the E, or explanation. Those letters form the acronym SPACE, and we use that acronym as a handy reminder when we study Scripture. So let's use it on today's Scripture reading, Andy. Okay, so we'll start with SP, which stands for speaker. The speaker is Jesus, and the audience, in both cases, are his disciples. Let's look at Matthew 18, verse 1, and it reads, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And then we jump down to Matthew 19, verse 13, where it reads, Then some children were brought to him, so that he, speaking of Jesus, might lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. And, but Jesus said, and then there's the rest of the verse. So a couple questions that I'm looking for here, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners might have these questions as well. Why is noticing the audience important for this portion? Well, you know, Andy, it reminds us that in both cases, we're going to be receiving a higher teaching because Jesus spoke to his disciples about much higher teachings than he spoke to the crowds about. Okay. 
I understand that. Another question, how do we know that we'll be receiving a higher teaching? Like how can we quantify what's the difference between a higher teaching and a standard teaching? Yeah, what's the scriptural support for what I'm saying? And I think that's always important. You know, people often will make lots of uh, statements, particularly on social media, whenever I'm talking to someone about whatever a contentious issue about the Bible or whatever, they just make statements. And I think it's always important to source those statements, attribute those statements, back them up. And we like to do that. We must do that uh, by looking at Scripture. So the answer is that because back in Matthew 13, Jesus had told his disciples that God had granted them special higher knowledge that would allow them to understand what he called the mysteries of the kingdom. And he also told them, and this is very important, many prophets and righteous men have desired to see what you see and hear what you hear. Of course, speaking in a spiritual sense, you know, the things that they were able to perceive because of God's timing and because of God's choosing them were unique in history. And um, I think when we study these things, we also have to keep that in mind. Like, this is not to be taken very lightly. Uh, It's not to be glossed over. These are really uh, deep teachings that Jesus is giving us here in these passages that he gave to his disciples um, that we need to sort of be tuned in and and have our spiritual ears and eyes uh, attuned to. Yeah, so if you're a newer listener to our show, we also wanted to uh, give you a little insight over the past few years. We've actually have done plenty of studies being able to differentiate what standard teachings are versus the deeper teachings, right? These mysteries of the kingdom, right? which is really the name of our ministry is based on that. And I think a, a good example of, of being able to um, explain this to someone who's listening for the first time is, Scriptures in general throughout the Bible, whether it be Old Testament or New, anything that speaks specifically to initial salvation or the first coming of the Messiah in the Old Testament, where in the New Testament, the first coming of Christ, those verses, those scriptures are specifically designed to, those are the general basic scriptures, which the author of Hebrews also speaks of in Hebrews chapter five, chapter six, about, you know, he He's stressing that we need to move on from these basic, simple, organic teachings. We need to move on to maturity. So if you want to know what specifically is higher teaching or higher knowledge, or in the Greek would be called epinosis, it would be any teaching that speaks of the second coming of the Messiah or the second coming of Christ. So if the context of verses happen to be Jesus dying on the cross, buried for three days and three nights, rose on the third day, and how that by grace we have everlasting life, that's considered milk or the standard basic gospel teaching that we receive when we first hear of Jesus Christ and when we first receive him as Savior. However, as you study the Bible more, you must differentiate. You must have what the Bible, again, speaks of having the spirit of of discernment to know that there is a line, there's an invisible line where you have to separate the context of what we're reading or what we're listening to To give you another example, whenever we hear scriptures of Jesus coming back to rule and reign on the earth, and how us Christians who are striving to be overcomers need to walk the straight and narrow path, we need to live a certain way and and avoid sin, Um, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, those specific, those verses, those examples I'm giving you are specifically being taught by Jesus via the Holy Spirit for us Christians who are already saved to go on to maturity, hence to strive to be able to have entrance into the millennial kingdom. And that, like to your point earlier, Jordan, is the deeper 
difficult to understand teachings because it takes a spiritual mindset. It takes love for the Lord. It takes maturity. It takes discipline. Hence the word disciple here. So um, I just wanted to clarify that. No, it's really good. And, you know, it can be a little bit confusing because Jesus's message was for Israel at this point in his ministry. This is getting into context, the C of our acronym. So his whole ministry really is about the kingdom because the Jewish people were already sort of saved on the layaway plan. Yes. They were saved through the, through the sacrifices in the old covenant. So basically what's happening in most of the stories about Jesus is that he's saying to Israel, just repent from your sinful ways, accept that I'm the Messiah. Yeah. That's, that's uh, the first salvation you're talking about. And then let's, let's immediately start thinking about the kingdom and all of his lessons are about the kingdom. So when we look at this, it's important for us in the modern day to say, okay, well, we're technically engrafted into Israel. We're, we're really like Greeks or Gentile right. Christians, even if our background is Jewish. All of us grew up under that two millennia uh, system. So for us, we have to have that initial faith, ex- accept Jesus Christ's sacrifice, be, be saved, and then start to pay attention to the, to the kingdom. So it can get a little confusing because of the, the message to the Jews versus the message to the Gentiles. And if you read forward in history and you get past this part of Matthew, and you get into the, you know, the Acts and, and all that stuff, and uh, Paul's letters, then you start to get something that's more directed at the church. So I, I just wanted to mention that as well. Um, anyway, speaking of context, we should, coming back to our, our reading, what was the context for our reading? Well, Jordan, this section of Matthew is the beginning of Jesus trying to teach his disciples that humility and suffering must come before rank and privilege. I mean, if we look at Matthew chapter 16 for the first time, Jesus begins to show them that he must suffer and die in order for God's plan to be fulfilled. And then when we look at Matthew chapter 17, following the glorious moment on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus explains that his first coming is destined to end poorly. So, I mean, you know, these are things that he explains that, you know, Elijah had to come in the form of John the Baptist and Israel rejected and executed him for that. And, and basically, just, this just meant that Israel was going to do the same thing to him their Messiah. Yes. And then soon after that, Jesus repeats this message to his gathered disciples. He says, this is Matthew 17, 22, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and then he will be raised on the third day. And the Bible says that they were deeply grieved about this. You know, I'm sure it was out of love for him, but perhaps also because they were expecting him to, you know, conquer all as a triumphant king, and they had to begin to understand uh, God's plan here. Yeah, I mean, they didn't. They weren't aware of the engrafting of, like you mentioned earlier, the Gentiles. Right. And of course, that m- had to be done. Just a little uh, Easter egg, if you will. A majority of the Old Testament, a lot of the leaders that were types of Christ, um, you know, whether it was Moses or or Joseph and so on, they actually ended up marrying Gentiles. Mm-hmm. A lot of these key people, these prophets, went outside of the Jewish religion and Israeli heritage. And they actually marry Gentiles, which is a type for later on that Jesus eventually, with the building of the church, would be made up of Gentiles, people outside of the, you know, Israel and Jerusalem. Yeah. And then, so getting back to the rank and privilege thing, you know, if you look at the context after today's passages, you see that this theme was on their mind. You know, there's the episode with the rich young ruler, you know, which leads to a discussion among the disciples about who will be rewarded in the kingdom. You know, Jesus promises them, this is Matthew 19, 28. When the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you will also sit upon twelve thrones. And he adds also, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much in the kingdom. 
But then he also says, and again, this is what he was trying to show them in today's readings, many, many who are first will be last, and the last first. And he tells them this parable of the laborers, laborers in the vineyard, which we've covered in a separate episode, um, which the moral of that parable is, so the last shall be first and the first last. Yeah, Jordan. And you know, right after that, he tells them again in Matthew chapter 20, verses 18 through 19, he says, the son of man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. And on the third day, he will be raised up. Now, you know, then again, we see their focus shifts back to rank and privilege. And we know that the mother of James and John, Jesus's other disciples, asked Jesus to command that in the kingdom that, quote, these two sons of mine might sit one on your right and one on your left. And then we know the reply that Jesus had. He says, well, you don't know what you're asking. And then, of course, he reminds them again that he was about to suffer and die and that humility and suffering is what's required to earn reward in the kingdom. Yeah, and that culminates in, uh, in two verses at the end of Matthew, where Jesus says, Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Amen. So now that we know the speaker and the audience and the context, the SPAC, we're ready to get to the E explanation. I think we should start by rereading. So, Andy, I'm going to read, uh, reread uh, Matthew 18, 1 to 4, and then you can tell me what jumps out at you. Okay? Sure. Matthew 18, 1 says, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called the child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So what jumps out here, Andy? Well, I would say a couple points. First, I'll say the least or a child will be the greatest and the greatest least. I mean, that's, again, it's, you know, it might seem confusing. How is that someone who's least, lowest on the totem pole, will be considered the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? We're talking spiritual royalty. And then at the same time, people who are the greatest here, considered the greatest according to the world, will be the, of least importance in the kingdom. And, you know, I, I would say that this echoes the other scriptures like we see in Matthew 5, verse 3, that says, the first will be last and the last first. And blessed are the poor in spirit, meaning those who are not spiritually arrogant, if you will, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, and I also notice that he says that we must be converted, which means, you know, turned into and become like children to enter the kingdom. And that, that phrase, enter the kingdom, is a key phrase um, not see the kingdom, which is salvation. Anyone who believes in Jesus Christ and is saved will get to see the kingdom, but enter. And we, we've done a whole study on this, Andy, but really quick, you know, this comes from back in uh, John 3, when Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus on the rooftop. Um, we see that distinction, and if you study it closely, you'll notice it too. John 3, 3, he says, unless one is born again, meaning born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God, and that's grace, the gift of God. And then in John 3, 5, he, he changes it. He says, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And that's works, you know, being born of water, baptism. That's the prize that's earned through obedience, you know, here referring to baptism, right? Sure, sure. Very good. Okay. Let's also look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 5. And okay. then you let me know from there. You know, I'll ask you a question. You tell me what you feel. 
And I'll read it. It goes, And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Okay, so question. Was Jesus talking about literal children here? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question, and we're going to see why it can get a little confusing later. But obviously here he's saying, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And then here, here's the phrase also, one such child, which indicates that he's still speaking in a metaphorical, uh, spiritual sense. You know, like that, that phrase, these little ones, would, would then be taken, if you look at the context, and again, we always do that as part of our acronym, it seems he's speaking metaphorically. On the other hand, though, listen to what Jesus says a few verses later. He says, See that you do not despise, meaning disdain or think little or nothing of, one of these little ones, same phrase, for I say to you that their angels in heaven continuously see the face of my Father who is in heaven. That's Matthew 18.10. So that would seem to be literal, Andy. What do you think that means? Well, I would say, first of all, I love that verse. That's a beautiful verse. And I would say that, you know, the child's view of spiritual things should be esteemed, not disdained. Because of a mind of a child was most recently in direct contact with God. I mean, they, it hasn't been long since they left heaven. Right. So you've got to understand there is a lot of purity there. There hasn't been a, you know, they haven't been stained by the world yet or corrupted, if you will. Um, and, and I think if you're measuring yourself, right, and, and you're considering, wow, you know what? I, I'm really starting to understand this kingdom thing and how it's different from salvation. Kingdom of heaven, you know, requires our righteous works. and salvation is by grace. Beautiful, wonderful. I need to learn more. And I know I've, I've done this before, and I'm sure you're, as you grow spiritually, you're going to want to ask yourself, you want to, want to measure yourself, where are you at? And I would say that there's an extreme, and then we have to find ourselves leaning towards one or the other, right? So let's assume that both of these extremes include saved people. They accepted Christ, they accepted Jesus's finished work on the cross, and they believe that salvation is by grace not by works, lest any man should boast, okay? So to the one extreme, you've got someone who's somewhat of a narcissist, mm-hmm. okay? They're, they're more concerned about their own life. They're, they're finding ways to, to use someone else in a coy manner. They're lacking empathy as far as feeling someone else's pain or caring for someone else's pain. So at the end of the day, you've got somebody who's living for themselves, right? So that would be, I would say, to the extreme, there are Christians like that, unfortunately, that are really looking out for number one. Right. And then you've got, to the other extreme, a Christian who's willing to walk away from land, job, family, who has a strong calling in their heart, who the Holy Spirit's leading them to spread the gospel, to give, not to take, to love, to put all his feelings on the side, okay? Somewhere in there is where we're all going to find ourselves. And like scripture says, you know, being a man after David's own heart is what God loved about David and what what he will love about us. Biblically speaking, the Bible says God is looking into the heart, not how many people you save necessarily or how much you're doing or if you have a radio ministry or if you're a pastor or if you're leading a Bible study. It's your heart that God wants. God is looking at the heart. And that's going to determine whether or not when we do go to heaven, if we will receive reward, or we can expect to receive reward, or we can expect to suffer loss. Right. And just building on what you said, you know, I, I think about two ends of a spectrum. You know, you often think, well, this older, jaded person, like if I could talk to them after they cross over, after they, they die and, and go, you know, go to heaven or whatever, how, how would they think, 
you know, uh, how would they change? How would they become softer and sure. more empathetic? And you don't really have to do that because you can go to the other end of the spectrum, the, the beginning, and, and let's look at a child. That, at that's, a child. I think, what Jesus is trying to say here. Absolutely. That's a great model for you. You know, they, they've been in heaven recently. So their innocence and their purity and their empathy is something that we can, we can model. Um, okay, so, so obviously he was being literal there to show an example. But then we must also consider the verse after that for even more context. Um, this is Matthew 18, 12 to 14. He says, What do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go and search for the one that's straying? If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine which have not gone astray. So it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish. So as we run this phrase down, Andy, for the third time, um, obviously here he wasn't being literal. Uh, he obviously, he wasn't saying straying sheep are like children. That, that wouldn't make sense. So what is he saying here? Well, here he's, he's talking about a straying or lost sheep at this point was a type for Israel. He was speaking of the nation of Israel, how they were falling away from, from God's original calling for them. You know, the, the Great Commission from Matthew chapter 28 is, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, meaning including the Gentiles, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And again, that's Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Now that was the second commission. Now the first commission is found in Matthew chapter 10. What say you about that? Yeah, so the first commission, that's a way to look at it. The great commission is really the second commission. The yeah. first commission, the first time he sent his disciples out in Matthew 10, he says, do not go in the way of the Gentiles, the, the opposite of what we were just reading, and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go where? To the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I think that's the point that you were trying to bring out yeah. by saying that these, this is a type of, the straying sheep is a type of Israel. So a question for you, Andy, if you put scripture together here, all the stuff that we've read, we ran down this phrase, little ones. We've talked about metaphorical children and literal children in the story that, and the example that Jesus was giving. Putting it all together, what is Jesus saying when he compares little ones perishing to the one sheep that strayed and was found with great rejoicing? Well, Jordan, Israel as a nation was lost, but yet individual Jews with the qualities of a child, spiritually speaking, would be found and, and would eventually form God's church. And then, you know, returning to verse 5, we see, you know, this phrase, receive a child in his name. What, what do you think that means? Well, one possible meaning in the Greek is to receive into one's family to bring up or educate, okay? That's the key word there, educate, to receive them and raise them up. Now, this seems to be the closest to what Jesus's meaning was, and it's a reference and a foreshadow to the spiritual children of the new covenant, who we still are today. Now, those who were born again, whether they were Jew or Greek, because we know According to Romans, there is no Jew or Greek anymore, would eventually become God's children. And they were to be received into the family of God and educated. Yeah, that's why we say this is a higher or deeper learning. Whenever he's speaking to his disciples, he's using either parables. Mm -hmm. And even when he's using parables, those are built on experiences, things that happen. He's always trying to teach his disciples, like, what's going to happen in the future? And also um, lessons for the church, because obviously Jesus was God, Jesus is God. And he, he knew that we're going to be reading these things as well, and, and also deriving lessons from them. So there's so many layers of meaning here. And, uh, you know, just to be complete, we should also talk about verse 6, which, you know, in a nice Bible reading voice, sounds a lot less uh, harsh than um, I'm sure that Jesus said it and meant it. We, we should really take these words uh, strongly here. He says, 
Um, you know, it would be better to die a horrible death, basically, drowning by the heavy stone that was used to grind flour, and have it, you know, tied around your neck and drown yourself, than to cause these little ones to stumble. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple, to the Abundant Life Worship Center for the music for our show, and to Tom Pine for our scripture reading. I'm Steve Zioli, and until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Mysteries of the Kingdom, Incorporated.